Now, in case you don't know it, it's Christmas time. That's good or bad, depends on where you're at. I know it's an expensive time of year, and uh, that and a lot of it entails waiting. I hate waiting, don't you? I hate waiting in lines at the store, the gas station, the restaurants. I hate waiting anywhere, especially the doctor's office. It's terrible to wait for the doctor's office, isn't it? They get paid a lot of money, and you sit out there and wait and wait and wait. And if you forget reading material, you're extra miserable. <laughs> but I hate waiting. And this time of year, kids are really waiting on Christmas, aren't they? They're waiting for it, and they're hoping for it, and they're so excited about it, and they're counting down the days. And um, we have a, the only year, month of the year we hold it over our kids' head about Christmas. You know, they tell them, you got to be good for Santa's watching you. Now, I don't know why we do that. Why don't we tell them you got to be good because Jesus is watching you? You know, the reason for the seasons got thrown out the window and Santa brought in, and now all, our, all their hopes and dreams are in Santa Claus. Any little kids here? <laughs> don't want to say anything, whatever, because some people still do go through some of that stuff. I'm, I'm way past that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but I do kind of miss having kids around at Christmas time. You know, that was the fun of Christmas. You know, and adults, I know it's a hassle with a lot of the things going on. But man, there's, you know, as the kids' excitement just, just grows and grows and grows, it's something that reminds us that's something we should do. Our excitement about God and Christmas should be the same. And we don't need to allow all this other stuff to influence those kind of things. Now, we also occupy them by uh, having them write letters to Santa. Now, I went through and looked through a bunch of letters to Santa, and I got a few of them here. I'm going to read. It says, Dear Santa, I don't know if you could possibly... I don't know if you can, but could you possibly make it so I can turn into a dragon, please? Or a pet dragon? Either one will do, though I would really like to turn into a dragon. Dear Santa, please give me a fat bank account and a slim body. Please don't mix those two up like you did last year. Dear Santa, if you bring me presents with batteries, bring batteries. All you parents that have things with batteries, get the batteries. Because it's frustrating wanting the, wanting the kids wanting you to go to the store to get the batteries for what you gave them. Dear Santa, you, bring, you better bring me my pony this year or there will be consequences. You know, something that I found out this year, and the trend is getting towards that, is I found a lot of red letters threatening Santa and his reindeer if they don't get what they want. Can you imagine? Saying, if you don't bring me what I want, I'm going to cut off Rudolph's head or his leg or whatever and beat the rest of the reindeer with it. I mean, what kind of parents would, would a kid feel like they have to do the result of that kind of stuff? I mean, that just, I couldn't believe it. But they were actual letters, and I didn't read any of those because they were too re gross or ridiculous to even read. But, and then mail them. Parents, if your kids are writing a letter to Santa, 
make sure you mail it so you can read what's in it. Because there's probably a return, ad return address on it and you don't want the FBI coming to your drawer. <laughs> so, dear Santa Claus, when you come to my house, there will be cookies for you. But if you are real hungry, well, you can use our phone and order a pizza to go. Dear Santa, now this is from a four-year-old, I'll take anything because I haven't been that good. <laughs> you know, we sit there and the kids are probably try, you know, trying to be good. So that, that's kind of a good thing for the parents because we want them to be good, so we kind of get a one month of them doing good because we, we blackmail them with Santa. You're not going to get anything from Santa if you're not good. But sometimes we have a, we have a problem really thinking God is Santa Claus because we bring him our list and we check it twice or three times or whatever it is and then we expect to get it by Christmas because we hate to wait. Waiting is hard. I guess it was easy everybody to do it. Of course, everybody is doing it and it's not easy. All it does is cause frustration and anger, doesn't it? But we've got to quit realizing that God isn't Santa. God gives us promise to give us the things that we need. Sometimes I'm glad he gives us some things we want, and I'm glad that sometimes he doesn't give us some things we ask for. You know, how many times have you looked back in the past of things that you've asked God for that you didn't get, and now you're so glad you didn't get them? Because sometimes we have a tendency to settle. And when we settle, we don't get what God's provided, number one, which is God's best. And God wants to give us his best. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what God's desire is. And we as parents, just like we want to give our kids the best that we can, God can. Of course, God has control over everything, and he can do everything. But he knows that some things aren't good for us. Now, in the Bible, there was a couple of people that were waiting for Christmas. It was Simeon and Anna, they were waiting and hoping for Messiah, and they were waiting and hoping more than kids wait for Christmas. In Luke 2, 25 and 26, it says, At that time there was a man named Simeon living in Jerusalem. He was a good man. He was good, God-fearing man, and was waiting for Israel to be saved. The Holy Spirit was with him and had assured him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's promised Messiah. Now, Israel hadn't heard from God in over 400 years. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it was 400 years. That's a long time. Can you imagine? I meant, you know, like I said, we don't like waiting when we have prayer requests, but Israel was praying and looking for their Messiah, of course, from the, from the Garden of Eden, they were looking for him. So all those years, they were looking and waiting and hoping for it. But then all of a sudden, God was silent for those years. And those were dark, dark days for Israel. They were under Roman rule. Because the funny thing about our lives and our world is that when we leave God out of it, things get worse. We don't think that they do, but look at the progression of America. We start losing, leaving God out of our lives, and crime goes up, murder goes up, our kids' discipline and, and their 
idea of what's right and what's wrong. It's okay to do something as long as you don't get caught. That's the theology of a lot of people. And so along with that, we see our nation starting to stumble and starting to become something that we don't want it to be. This isn't the America that it was when I was a kid. We had a lot more things going on. You know, we had prayer in school and Pledge of Allegiance and and all kinds of things were going on and, and we had manger scenes and all that stuff in our classrooms and Christmas trees. and But we kind of threw all that stuff out because we don't want to offend anybody. Well, I'm tired of it, aren't you? Let them get offended. We were here first. God was here first. America was built on godly principles. Don't do that, son, it hurts. <laughs> Can't Bible thump this morning, it hurts. <laughs> so, but our, our, our nation has stumbled from where it used to be. And uh, we can trace it all the way back to the time that we started throwing God out of everything. We still have God in a lot of things. And as long as we do, America is be blessed. America is the most powerful nation on earth the most blessed nation on earth. Why? Because we still have God in a lot of things. And it's because believers still live here. And I believe that we're going to have a little bit of that until God takes us out of here, and I don't know when that is. And we're all, aren't we all waiting and hoping for that day to come? I mean, I'm tired of listening to the news and and all the stuff. And what, what was that song? Oh, that song they ruled out. They weren't allowed to sing. Honey, it's cold outside. How many of you know that song? You know, it's an old music of old movies. Well, they're not allowed to sing it anymore because it's a Me Too movement against it. Because they said it, it's talking about rape. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, everything, you know, you're so afraid to do anything. And they're ruining Christmas and they're ruining everything from this stuff. Now, I'm not saying that, that we should do, there's a lot of things we need to deal with, but that isn't one of them. We've gone overboard. The pendulum used to be over here, and now it's clear over here. Well, over here, because the right is right and the left is left. <laughs> left is wrong. But the pendulum's swinging this way, and I don't know how long that pendulum's going to swing until God says, I've had enough, and you're under judgment. I don't know. Only God knows that. So, but here's these people, and they're waiting for the Messiah. But Simeon was promised he would see the Messiah before he died. And man, he was getting awful old. Now, if it was me and I was up there in age and I had this promise, I'd be, hey, God, you know, I don't know how many more days I got left. And you know, and you promised, you promised this Messiah, and I haven't seen him yet. Where is he? And with every passing day, he could have got discouraged, depressed, or whatever, but he didn't. His faith never wavered because his faith was in God. And when our faith is in God, life is better. Sometimes our faith wavers, and when our faith wavers, that's when we get into problems. Isn't it? When we don't trust God to do things, we try to do things on our own and we force situations and make them worse. We struggle sometimes with loneliness, emptiness, insecurity, and even desperation when our faith wavers. 
The Christmas season is a major time for suicide and depression. So if you know people that are alone and don't have family or don't have people around to, you know, encourage them. Go see them. Visit them. Help them to realize that they're not forgotten because it's a lonely time of year when you have no one. And we don't understand that kind of loneliness. There's a lot of elderly people that can't get out and go to church because of their health. That's one of, has always been one of my things growing up was the, the people that we, the forgotten people are those, the elderly, they can't go to church and they've served God all their lives and now they're, they can't go to church. And that, to me, that's sad, number one, because I think God should allow them to go to church. So that's kind of a, a thing for me. But their faith can waver. But a lot of them, if you talk to them and you go visit them, you end up encouraged and blessed because you went and visited them. Because their faith in God is so strong. I had a, a lady that I knew growing up, and, you know, and I liked her a lot. And um, as she got older, she got Alzheimer's. And her memory was fading really, really bad. And she used to, she used to could quote a lot of scriptures. And as the disease progressed and progressed and progressed, she ended up with just being able to have one word. Guess what that one word was? Jesus. She forgot everything else in her mind, but forgot people and who they were. And to me, that's the worst disease there is because it robs you of who you are. But she still, regardless of what was taken from her, she had that one word that she hung on to until the day she died was Jesus. And if we hang on to that one word, everything else will fall in place. Because there's nothing in this world worth having if you don't have God. Luke 27 to 33. Well, 33, but... I put 35 up there. Forgot to take the other two verses off. But anyway, led by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple. When the parents brought the child Jesus into the temple to do for him what the law required, Simeon took the child in his arms and gave thanks to God. Now the Lord, you have kept your promise, and you may let your servant go in peace. With mine own eyes I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for the present in the presence of all peoples a light to reveal your will to the Gentiles and bring glory to your people. The child's father and mother were amazed at the things Simeon said about him. Now there's a lot of stuff in those verses. There's a lot of prophecies being fulfilled. A light unto the Gentiles. That was something that the Jewish people would never, ever, ever, ever say if it wasn't for God because the Gentiles were dogs to the Jewish people. But he came to be the light even to the Gentiles. And he knew that because God revealed that to him. And the Holy Spirit led Simeon to the temple that day. And he's the one, basically, what you have here is you have Simeon dedicating Jesus to the Lord. That's where we get our uh, dedicating babies to the Lord, something that, that happens. And then basically the same time, he's officially named because technically the baby doesn't have a legitimate name until he's dedicated to God. That's when he gets his name. And then on the eighth day also, because this is the eighth day, they circumcise him. And the doctors have found out that on the eighth day, 
is the best time for circumcision to take place because of the, the blood clotting abilities or whatever it is that happens on the eighth day. So God knew all this stuff. Now they circumcise them right away, and I don't know what they do now. I know when our boys were circumcised, they just did it with a little machine that did it and put a little cap on top of it. I don't know what they do now. And I kept that cap for a lot of years till I finally lost it, but <laughs> I don't know why. Mothers are stupid in the things we say, aren't we? You know, this is my kid's hair. This is their tooth. This is their, this is their circumcision thing. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm glad I lost it, I guess, because I don't think you'd want me holding it up here, would you? But anyway, so, so God told him it's seem. And when he looked at the baby Jesus, he knew that God's promise had been fulfilled. Now, I don't know if Simeon expected a full-grown Messiah or a baby. You know, he didn't know that. He didn't know what he was looking for. He just knew God said he would show him the Messiah. Now, if he'd been expecting a full-grown man or a warrior king like the Jewish people were expecting, they weren't expecting a baby. They were expecting a, a king to come in and deliver them, someone that would lead them into, in war. So, but he signed, he didn't even hesitate. And when maybe God is starting to provide for our needs, but we're not recognizing it because we're expecting God to provide our needs the way we expect it to be done. And so we don't, we miss it. And we think God isn't answering my prayer. But we know that God doesn't answer everything instantly. Sometimes it's a process. And we don't see where we're at in that process. But if we give up, if we lose our faith, it breaks the process. It breaks that continuity. Try and car, uh, start your car if a wire to your starting system is broke. The continuity is lost. It won't start. You have to get it fixed. So maybe we're in some of that situations. I'm saying we because I'm there too. I expect God to do things in certain ways, and when he doesn't, I get angry sometimes, and I tell him I'm mad. Might as well, he knows anyway. And if we don't acknowledge it and tell God about it and ask him to forgive us and heal our hearts and help us to think about situations differently the way he thinks about them and trust him with those things, then we'll be a lot better off in this world. Because remember, God hears every prayer. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. We would rather have a no answer than the wait answer, wouldn't you? Because I don't want to, you know, we figured if we had the no answer right away, we could at least quit praying about it. <laughs> Look at all the time I'm, I'm praying for this stuff because I haven't heard no yet. <laughs> And sometimes if you have little kids, to them, no means you go ask the other parent, right? And we had a rule in our house, if one of us said no, and they went to the other parent, number one, they didn't get to do what they asked for, and then they got grounded. There was no playing one against the other, because they'll do it, don't they, parents? You know, grandpa or daddy, whatever the case may be, was a lot nicer than me. You know, I tell this many times when our grandkids were little, they'd run up to our house and they'd run right by me and where's grandpa? What am I, chopped liver? 
because Grandpa was a yes person. Of course, I'm the, I was a yes person with my grandkids too because I didn't care if they had chocolate when they went home and was up all night. I didn't care if they had got it all over their face when they were little. If you're not a grandparent, you don't understand that, but wait, if the Lord tarries and you become a grandparent, that's your revenge on your children. <laughs> and remember, the mother's curse works. You tell your kids, I hope they have one just like you, because it works. <laughs> Luke 22, 20, 36 to 38. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penelah. Now notice, there was another prophet, and it was a woman. How dare God do that in the Old Testament? I know I did a sermon years ago about can a woman preach. They preached in the Old Testament. God spoke through them because God didn't care who you were. Are you willing to speak in God's stead. Are you willing to serve God? That's what God cares about. He uses the available, not the best orator. So, he used women, he used whoever's available, and there were prophetesses, and um, as well as prophets. And she was of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to the very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. See, she was blessed to be there too, to see the redemption of Israel. And she was excited about it. Now, I don't know how she could have done this, stayed in the temple for all those years. Now, seven years after she was married, and usually they married young, around 14, I think, is the, probably the average age, wasn't it, Brother Cliff? So you got 14, you add that 21, and she was 84. That's 63 years. She was single, and she lived in the temple, and what'd she do, curse God and die? No, she worshiped God, and she prayed, and she fasted. No wonder she was a prophetess. Because she had dedicated her life to God. And I'm not saying you have to stay in the church 24-7 in order to have God's blessing. But we have to be committed to God the same as they were committed to God. Because when we have the commitment that they had, then God will live through us and, and speak to us. Because we have to be turned to the right channel. If you're trying to, trying to find a certain song or certain thing, you have to turn it to the right channel in order to get it. And that's the antenna. The receiver has to be turned. Now, the, the Jewish leadership, of course, wasn't looking for him because they were looking for a conquering king, not a baby. What are we waiting for? Now, Jesus can provide, maybe not by Christmas, but some things instantly, if we're lonely, empty, afraid, stressed out, or need comfort or consoling, he can do that. That's easy because that's something he died to provide. We need to read this book to find out what he's promised us because there's a lot of stuff in here that we can claim instantly. One day all of us will be healed when he comes and changes us and gives us our new body. 
You know, I know that I want my new body now. How many else want your new body now? Anybody that's older that ever had something that hurts? You know, when you get old, you find out all that stuff you did when you're a stupid young person, you pay for. You wake up one day and all of a sudden everything hurts. I was fine till I was about 50. Then everything started hurting. And then by the time I was 55, everything was falling apart. I felt like bailing wire was just holding me together. And I am an erector set. You know, all the parts that's been replaced. I'm glad God knows where my old joints in that are because they're not in here anymore. You know, this whole side is nothing but artificial shoulder, hips, knees, ankle. This side is just the hips and the knee. I'm trying to hold off on the other stuff. I got other people's bones in my body. <laughs> so God knows where my stuff is so he can put me back together again when I get it. But I don't want a lot of the old stuff unless it's fixed. Do you? <clears throat> but I think one of the things that we all need at Christmas time is joy. Sometimes we feel trapped in the life that we're living. You know, we, we sin and we just keep doing the same things over and over and over again and we're in this vicious circle and we can't get out of it. But Jesus can break bondage. And it's hard to feel joy in your heart when you've got all this stuff going on in your life. But see, Jesus came to provide us joy too. Promise to give you joy unspeakable and full of glory, as that old song goes. Now, we can have joy, and I think there's three steps to experience the joy that Christmas can bring, and not only Christmas, but throughout our lives, because we need joy. Because if we have joy in our life, we can live through some of the other things. If we have God's joy in our lives, then it isn't as big a deal if this hurts or if that hurts, because God gives us a joy that's different than anything that you can ever experience outside of God. Now, the first step is to become a marveler. Now, Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about Jesus. Now, the dictionary says to become a marveler is to be filled with a wonder, astonishment, and surprise. Are we a marveler at Christmas? I, don't, I think we've heard the Christmas story so much and everywhere we look and the songs that they play that we lose the marvel of Christmas. And we have to have God to infuse us in with, a, with that joy to be a marveler, to marvel at the birth of Christ and not just think of it as a story that comes from the Bible or something that happens at Christmas time, something that we do. We put up a manger scene outside so people are know, hey, we're religious. We need to become a marveler in order to be able to appreciate Christmas. <clears throat> now, we need to look at Christmas through the eyes of the first witnesses because they were marvelers. We need to look through the eyes of Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, or the wise men and get a fresh perspective. If we could only see through their eyes... Now, I'm sure Joseph and Mary really were marvelers because if they said that about your kid, wouldn't you? What in the world is he talking about? My kid? Of course, we all think our kids are going to grow up to be perfect or president. Of course, nowadays, I don't think I want my kid to grow up to be president. 
especially if they're conservative and try to be righteous. Because the more righteous you are, the more they tear you down. So Luke 2, 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. The second step to experience the joy of Christmas is to become a mover. When the Holy Spirit promised Anna and and Simeon to move, they moved. They were movers. Everyone in the Christmas story were movers. Mary was moved and said yes to God to give birth to Jesus. Joseph was moved and took Mary and his wife. The shepherds were moved and went to Bethlehem and seen the baby Jesus the angels told them about. The wise men were moved and followed the star. When God prompts us, we need to move. They didn't just sit around and say, oh, next week, I imagine it's to be there next week. No, they left right then. The wise men, it wasn't just a a 30-day journey to get here. It was years. It was two years it took them to get there. That's a long time to travel following a star. How do we know it took two years? Because that's actually, ruin your Christmas story, Jesus was about two years old when the wise men came. How do we know that? How old were the babies that King Herod killed? Two years old and under. Because the wise men said, he asked them, when did you first see the star? And they told him, and that's why that's, they killed him. So that's how we know how old he was at that time. So... Don't let it ruin your season. Still put Jesus in the manger because it doesn't make any difference because Christmas isn't actually when Jesus was born anyway. It wasn't the day of his birth. And that's okay. That's the day we celebrate it. I've never had a birthday when I was a kid on my birthday. Actually, I only remember one birthday party my whole life because I was born the day after Christmas. Who wants to go to a birthday party then? You know? <laughs> So I really got cheated. Then I had a twin sister, so I really got cheated. Then I hated it because, you know, we make all our kids get up for Christmas. No one can open a present until everybody's up. So, but my sister was more anxious about opening presents than me, so she got up and had everything tore open, and I got up and looked and knew that I had the same thing, just a different color. So it kind of ruined the excitement, you know? (laughs) But when God prompts us to do something, we can't hesitate. Because if we do, we could miss a Christmas miracle. Or just a miracle in general. I mean, salvation is a miracle. And people that that, that don't hear the gospel message, they can't receive it. They got to hear it first. How many here got saved without hearing the gospel? Nobody. You have to hear the gospel. If I didn't hear the gospel, I wouldn't be up here today. So we have to become a mover. Luke 22, 20, 34. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now, I don't know. I think this was probably a prophecy to Mary because he just spoke to Mary. Because he probably knew through God that Joseph wasn't going to be around when this tragedy was going to strike. And we know he wasn't. So there's a little prophecy right there in there that we kind of overlook. There's so many things in the Bible and in, in the Christmas story and things that we overlook. Just little tiny little nuggets that if we miss because we just 
run through it. Anyway, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. Now, Simon wasn't saying Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. He wasn't giving Mary good news. She didn't understand it until the crucifixion of her son. Then she understood it, and those words probably came back to her, and she remembered them. But at the time, she probably didn't understand it. But see, Christmas splits people into two camps and forces people to make a decision about Christ. And we see a lot about it. I'm thankful we have a president leadership now that we can say Merry Christmas. Aren't you? Man, we can say Merry Christmas. That's deliverance. I'm excited about that because I like to say Merry Christmas. And I hate all this happy holidays stuff. You can keep your happy holidays and I'll keep my Merry Christmas. But he had, there was two camps that forces you to make a decision about Christ. Jesus is either a rock you build on, that's the rising, or he's the rock that you stumble over, that's the falling. We can't stay neutral about Jesus. We are either for him or we're against him. We're either moving closer to him or we're moving further away. We can't stand still. We can't stand still in this life. Every moment we get a little older, don't we? I'm older today than I was yesterday, and I'm going to be a lot older than this than I was last year. I'm going to be as old as Pam is this month. And I feel every year. How about you? <laughs> so we need to move closer to Christ. We either have the Son or we don't. Luke 2, 38. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She couldn't help but talk to the people, anyone around her that would listen. Look, this is the Messiah. This is he, the one that the Bible talked about. See, the people had to go to the temple to learn the word because they didn't have Bibles like we do. They didn't have their own personal scrolls. Only the elite had them. The Pharisees had them. And they taught you what God's word said. But if you came to the temple every day or every week like you're supposed to, you would learn the prophecies about the Messiah and all the things that, we, that they should have learned. So when we become marvelers, we become movers, which leads us to become messengers. And that's the third step to experience the joy of Christmas is to become a messenger. Do you have family or friends who are caught up in the preparation of Christmas? They might be looking for forgiveness, maybe some comfort, maybe some joy. See, but the nice thing about all the problems of this world is we have the answer. You know, we act like sometimes that we're, oh, what are they, secret agent? Secret agent, man, that song. We think we're secret agents and we're not supposed to tell our mission because it's a secret. Well, it's not a secret. God didn't come and die on a cross for it to be a secret. He died so we could become a messenger after we're saved. So when we go through these things, we will become messengers. We can't help it. God wants us to become messengers of the Christmas story, the true Christmas stories. If you're parents, you have a perfect opportunity to share it with your kids. 
Whatever it is, they'll remember it. I know my grandkids remember when they lived with us when they were little, Samantha and Matthew, when they were two and four years old, I think. I don't remember. And on Christmas, we had ice cream and cake for birthday. I meant on uh, Christmas for breakfast and sang happy birthday, Jesus. You don't think the kids remember that? I guarantee you they do. <laughs> oh, boy. So it's a good time we have opportunities to do it. As we become marvelers, we become marvelers because the wonder of Christmas will astonish us. As we become marvelers and movers, our needs for comfort and forgiveness will be met. As we become messengers, we'll be in position to introduce others to the Christ of Christmas. Christmas is a marvelous, moving message. How can we not find what we've been looking for in this wonderful time of the season? Many years ago, there was a very wealthy man who shared a passion for art, collecting with his son. They had priceless works of Picasso and Van Gogh on the walls of their family estate. As winter came, war engulfed the nation, and the son left to serve his country. After only a few weeks, his father received a telegram. His son had died. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holiday with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season had vanished from this death with the death of his son. On Christmas morning, a knock on the door woke the depressed old man. As he walked to the door, the art on the passing the art on the, art on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hands who said, I was a friend of your son. Your son died rescuing me. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. The soldier mentioned that he is an artist, and he gave the old man the package. The package gave way to reveal a portrait, portrait of the man's son. Though the world would never consider it the work of genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man hung the portrait over the fireplace. Pushing aside millions of dollars worth of art, his task completed. The old man sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. The painting of his son soon became his most prized possession, eclipsing any interest in the pieces of art for which museums around the world would clamor. The following spring, the old man died. The art world waited in anticipation for the upcoming auction. According to the will of the old man, all the artworks would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day he had received the greatest gift. The day soon arrived, and art collectors came from around the world, gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled that day. The auction began with a painting was, that was not on anyone's museum list. It was a painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid, but the room was silent. Who will open the bidding for $100? No one spoke. Finally, someone said, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's move on to the good stuff. The auctioneer responded, no, we have to sell this one first. Now, who will take this son? Finally, a neighbor of the old man offered $10. That's all I have. I knew the boy, so I had, I'd like to have it. The auctioneer, auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. The gavel fell. 
Cheers filled the room and someone explained, now we can bid on the rest of the real treasures. The auctioneer looked at the room filled with people and announced that the auction was over. Everyone was stunned. Someone spoke up and said, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a painting of someone's son. There are millions of dollars worth of art here. What's going on? The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. That's the same message this Christmas, isn't it? Whoever gets the son gets it all. Do you have it all this morning? You know, maybe we don't live in million-dollar homes. Of course, the way inflation is going, if you live in it long enough, it will be worth that. We don't, maybe don't drive big, fancy cars. We don't have the real elite designer clothes and all the things that the world thinks means that you have succeeded. But the only thing that matters in this world is do you have the sun? Because if you have the sun, you have it all. You get your sin forgiven. You get a future home in heaven. You get all the promises in this book that's for you. You have to read them to find out what they are. Old Testament, New Testament, that's a will. A testament is a will. And there's promises in here for us, but we have to read them. Do you have the sun? Doesn't matter what else you have. You don't have the sun. You have nothing. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father,